forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm a writer, director, and almost average female height. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and just a newly minted TikTok star. Okay, you want to talk about that? (laughs) Okay, I resisted for so long, but Allison, I think that this is how we get people to listen to the show. I think that the Gen Zers are on TikTok. They're like, wait, they're like, where did our faves go? Here we are. We're their faves. Here we are for them. And they are so excited. I've been promoting the pod. If you came to this pod from TikTok, please let me know. Because I feel that I have, I've been out there an ambassador amongst the young people. Oh, can I tell you something crazy that happened? Sure. Okay. So here's what's going on on my TikTok. I posted a video of me. Do you know the Mandela effect? Yes, but I don't remember what it means. Okay, so there are collective memories that people have that are not true. Oh, correct. Right, right, right. Like Berenstain Bears. Exactly. So if you look it up, it's basically like all these people have collective memories of of certain things being certain ways. For example, like Jif peanut butter being Jiffy or Berenstain Bears being spelled a certain way that it's not actually spelled or. What do you mean? um, It's not Jiffy. No, it's Jif. Oh, okay. That doesn't really rock my world in a big way, but okay. But that's weird, right? Yeah. What color? Let me ask you a Mandela effect. What color is chartreuse? I have no idea. What color do you think it is? Yellow. Okay. Well, nope. (laughs) Basically, some people think, I mean, it's green, but some people think that it's magenta. My mom having no, does not know the Mandela effect. Nothing. I said, what color is chartreuse? And she was like, it's like reddish purple. And I was mm. like, no, it's green. And she was like, no, I specifically remember it being yellowish purple, uh, being red, reddish purple. People have similar, unconnected people have similar collective memories, right? So one of them is, okay, Allison, there was a movie in the 90s with a black actor playing a genie. What movie was that and who was the actor? I don't know. All I can think of is Sinbad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here's why I'm being canceled on TikTok, because (laughs) I that's not a movie. It didn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't exist. No, it doesn't exist. It's people are confusing. I think the movie Kazam, which was with Shaq, with a movie called Shazam, which was with Simbad. I don't want to invalidate anyone's experience. People fully believe they saw the movie. People can tell you the plot from top to bottom. People like remember owning the VHS. People remember it coming out on Disney Channel. Fine. But it never did. It's not real. What What do they think it's called? Shazam. So Shazam is not a real movie. It's not. So I I made why a, are we talking about this? Wait, I, so this listen. This is overwhelming me. Listen, I know. Cheyenne didn't like it either. So listen, I, I made a video of me explaining the Mandela effect to my dad. And then I did a video being like, hey, if you don't know what to talk about with your family on Thanksgiving, because like politics is bad and religion is bad, might I suggest the Mandela effect? And then he made a few videos of me explaining different Mandela effects to my parents, right? Okay. They loved, my parents loved it. My dad is from the Shazam universe. He believes in Shazam. He was like, there was a movie with Sinbad. He played a genie. I was like, that's absolutely not true. So I posted that video and then people lost their fucking minds at me and were so furious and are like, you gaslit your dad, apologize to your dad. Shazam is a real movie. How dare you? And what then happens Mal had, if you Google it? It's not real. And then okay. Shaz- and then my uh, Mal had to make a video being like, here's proof that Shazam isn't real. Please stop yelling at my girlfriend. And then it ended, which I didn't know it was going to end this way. Mal met Simbad at an airport in 2015 and Mal was like here's all my evidence that Shazam doesn't exist also here's me asking Simbad if Shazam exists and Simbad saying no in a, in 2015 <laughs> and then they were like we know it's real Mara Wilson starred in it I happen to be friends with Mara Wilson so I Mal and I texted Mara Wilson and we were like were you ever in Shazam and Mara was like no <laughs> what was the movie that he was in that sounded like it there wasn't one there's a movie called kazam with Shaq. what's that and that's different 
It's Shaq playing a genie. I don't know why you're trying to get me so riled up right before we have to do a whole episode. <laughs> so you represent the, I'm talking, okay, the video has 800,000 views. People are like pissed. Which They're one? Like, the one of me explaining that Shazam isn't real to my dad. People are like, why are you gaslighting your dad? How dare you do this to your dad? It's crazy. And then I just a whole long con for you to brag that you're doing really well on TikTok. I am doing well on TikTok, but I've also like literally it's been three days and I've already been canceled on TikTok. And people are like, you're so rude. Like Shazam is absolutely real. And then this is what's scary, Allison, is it's people. This explains Trump. This explains the news because they're like, what am I going to do? Believe Google or like believe like my own memories. And also like it's a conspiracy, like they just deleted it from the Internet. That's thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are saying Yikes. that to me. I don't so like anyway, that. No, it's very bad. But yeah. anyway, it's I it's great because Mal has asked him bad to his face. And also we are like we texted Mara Wilson. She says she was not in Shazam. Shazam isn't real. <laughs> But um, I have unprecedented access to information about Shazam. And I promise you it's not real. Watch, we're going to get in trouble for this because people are going to be like, it is real. How dare you? Sinbad, if you're listening to this, please come on this podcast. We need to talk to you about Shazam. And if you're wondering what the hell is this podcast, this is just between <laughs> us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. Our guest this week is a very exciting guest. Uh, we have Caroline Rose Giuliani on uh, to answer some tough questions about politics. Um, also being just like an icon. And later we're going to be talking all about schemas, what they are and how they shape how we interact with the world. For instance, people believing in Shazam. I mean, that's a Shazam <laughs> schema. <laughs> a schema, if you will. A schema. <laughs> But first, hit it. International question. International question. International question. Friendless Manila. Oh, that's so sad. We do love when you come up with a creative name for yourself, but friendless really makes me sad. Yeah, but it does make me feel like Dear Abby, and I do like that. Yeah. The TLDR from friendless is how do I make friends as a mentally ill person? I just came from a friendship breakup with someone I considered my best friend for years. It ended quite badly. The reason partly being my mental illness. I have bipolar one, suicidal Mm. tendencies and avoidant behavior, which were totally valid reasons. But this has led me to feel insecure about making new friendships since I am scared they will grow to resent me and drop me as soon as I start acting out. I've been going back to psychotherapy so I can become a better friend to the people who are still in my life, but they seem pretty tired of my shit too. How can I make lifelong friendships as a bipolar person with unpredictable mood swings and suicidal tendencies? Should I just give up on making friends altogether? Thank you. And I love you guys. Uh, um, it's super tough. I mean, I think there are just going to be people who don't get it. Like, and that might be the majority of people, unfortunately. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of people who your shit triggers their shit, right? So, Mm -hmm. like, if my, you know, if my, like, endless manic talking or whatever is something that causes someone else's anxiety, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to navigate that. I do think it's, I do think it's not, like, all is lost. Like, I don't think, I think there's so many people in the world. And like, I don't think that just being like, well, I guess I can't have friends is like the answer to that. (laughs) I think that bipolar one is a really tough um, illness and disorder to have to live with. And so I think that I can understand why you can feel like, oh, this is insurmountable and it is not worth me even trying. Mm -hmm. But I really do think that the fact that like you're aware that it interferes with the relationships, the fact that you're aware that friendships are something that you value and that you want in your life. I think it, it might be difficult, but I also think it's absolutely worth it. And I think potentially being back in therapy, I think with bipolar one, a lot of people if they are able to find the right medication, the medication helps mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and so I, I just want to say, just do not give up. Like life is very mm-hmm. long. You don't know who you're going to meet. I also think that 
there's different levels of friendships. Mm -hmm. So you might be used to a friendship where when you are in that place, then you think, oh, I can, I can call my friend and I can talk to them for two hours about how I'm feeling. And maybe, maybe right now, as you're kind of getting back on your feet, it can be helpful to sort of have some boundaries with your friends. Mm -hmm. So if you are in therapy, knowing like, okay, that's, I go to my therapist for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And instead of feeling like, okay, if you're my friend, then that means you have to give me this degree of friendship. With bipolar, I have bipolar too. um, And I still have manic delusions. And so like, I'll be convinced of certain things or Mm -hmm. um, there's no talking to me is kind of Mm -hmm. the thing. And I, I've noticed that I've started to feel resentment. Like, why didn't you stop me? Why didn't Mm. you tell me to stop? Why didn't you take my phone away? Why didn't you, you know, do all these things? But like, I, how can I expect people to babysit me? And like, I, it's, so I'm kind of similarly running up against this thing of like, how much do I resent the people in my life for, for being, letting me go for just being like this, she's, you know, she's going to do what she's going to do. Um, as long as I'm not hurting myself. Right. But like I then I've sort of started being in this pattern of, well, why you were there, you saw it happening. Why didn't you stop me? So, Um, again, I think I think that's remembering that, like, you are your primary helper. Exactly. You know, you are the one that is most in charge of yourself. um, And then after that comes like mental health professionals. So and in the moment, who knows what I would have done, you know? It's not uh, on them. Oh, how you would have reacted to them yeah, trying to stop you. Right. Yeah. So I think that I, I think that it might be helpful to sort of approach it from uh, how do I have some good acquaintances to start mm-hmm. off with? You know, like how do you have some people in your life that you like and that and that you can talk to occasionally and that like, you know, you can maybe Zoom with once a week or mm-hmm. like text about a favorite TV show. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I definitely think that sometimes we think that our friends should fill a, like almost the role of like what you would expect from like a partner. Um, yeah. And then or, that but can... even a partner, you you put them in this role and it's a therapist is what you totally. really want. So I think if maybe it can be maybe a little bit right now about reframing how you view friendship. And so and also letting yourself know like, OK, I'm in this place. I'm I am manic. I am depressed. Where do I go? And maybe mm-hmm. learning that boundary of like, okay, I go to my therapist. I go self-soothing. to self-soothing. Mm-hmm. I go to online and I and I I watch something about DBT, you know, like mm-hmm. I learn a little bit more about some coping skills, like, you know, and so that I think the if if you get a little better at controlling the outreach when you are in those bad places, then mm-hmm. I think you can form friendships, maintain friendships, and then obviously it's all about what you've put in. Right. So like if you've known someone for two months and then after two months of like casually knowing them, you call them at 3am because you're in a manic episode, that's going to be very jarring for that person. But if you've known someone for 20 years, like you've put in the work where like you might get, you get like one or two 3am phone calls, you know? So it also depends. Like I, you know, uh, it depends on you know, people could surprise you. Like I, uh-huh. I remember, I mean, I knew I had known Drew for a few months, but I called her on Thanksgiving and I was crying last year. Uh, and she was like totally down to chat about it. And yeah. I was like, huh, like people will surprise you. Totally. And I think, you know, I think there's also the potential of like um, joining a group therapy group. I think that that could be really helpful. Mm. Other because, people with bipolar one. Yeah. And so you're seeing other people, your uh, group therapy is also really great for developing interpersonal skills. Mm-hmm. So even just like through developing these relationships with the other members of the group therapy, like you will learn skills that you can then use on friendships outside of the group. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that would be a really big, big recommendation, I, I think, and, and worth checking out. And also, you know, 
the online community of like, find other people who are experiencing this, find other people yes. who are having a, a tough time maintaining friends because of, of their mania or their mm-hmm. depression. And, you know, you can kind of be there for each other because you, you both get it, you understand it. And I think that's why it's so great that more and more people are being open about this so that you can mm-hmm. go find that community and you can kind of interact with each other. And then also... I just think that we are growing all of the time and we are learning all of the time. And and yes, you will always have bipolar one, but you will not always be the same version of you. Correct. And Correct. so you can't limit yourself if something you really want is clear to you, then you can you can shape yourself and shape your circumstances in your life to get closer to achieving that goal. You know, I think there's a lot of stuff in my mind where I would go, I can't. I mm-hmm. can't do this. I can't have friends. I can't have platonic intimacy. I can't, I can't, I can't. Um, but that's a, that's even you choosing to say you can't. Right. Like, and it's tough. I think, you know, sometimes when I'm suicidal, it's hard to think that anybody is going to want to put up with you. Like, even you writing this email, like, is this a depressive episode? You know, where you're sort of like, Nobody's my friend. Nobody cares about me. Because believe me, I hear that voice too. I hear the voice saying, nobody's your friend. Nobody cares about you. You're a loser. Everyone would be better if you were gone. hundred percent that that voice is in there. Um, and so that can make, I mean, you even saying like, my friends seem tired of my shit. Like, I think you should think about your narratives and what you're putting on mm-hmm. other people. And, totally. and the way that you're talking about how other people feel about you that you don't have any evidence for. Yeah. And also you cannot control your past behavior, but you can't control your future behavior. So if you Bingo. know, if you know that like certain things that you've done have pissed off this particular friend, then you can really make an effort to not do that anymore, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. to and to like make distinct changes. That doesn't necessarily mean that you won't feel manic or you won't feel depressed. But I think that like in the times where you're feeling a little more stable, you can sort of like set out these guidelines for yourself and mm-hmm. then and then try your best if you can to maintain them um, mm-hmm. even when you're struggling. And that's hard. Yes. And you're not going to nail it every time. But like maybe you five years ago wouldn't have even bothered with the guidelines. So all we have to look at is like, comparing yourself to past versions of yourself, right? And so any increment that you can do to be a better friend and to have stronger friendships is great. You don't need to jump from zero to 100. But if you can just do some small changes where like maybe for the next two weeks, you decide that like you're just going to check in with your friends about what's going on with them. Yes. You know, yes. And, and, and asking what they need. I mean, you mm -hmm. can be that open. Like, what do you need from a friend? You know, like, like Drew is someone who will just tell me how they feel. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, I think other people I've been friends with want to be prompted. They want to hear, how are you? You know, which is something Allison taught me, uh, is that you have to say, how are you doing to people? Cause they might not volunteer that information. Uh, and so it's like different people have different modes for friendship. And also like, you know, following what happened to me a few weeks ago, Obviously, for a bit there, it was all like, how are you doing? How, like people checking in on me, checking in on me. And then I realized like, oh, I have to like check in on them too. <laughs> like, yes, Fascinating. There's, there's moments like, yes, for like a week or two, it can be about me because I'm dealing with this trauma. But like at a certain point, I have to like re-engage in the fact that like friendships are mutual <sighs> and that it cannot just be a one-way street. And so like you know, yesterday I found out that like something horrible had happened to my friend, but like she hadn't told me because of what I'd been going through. And, you know, like I'm glad that she did. Like I felt bad that I didn't know. So maybe even just like changing your, your MO for right now about like, how can I be really there for them? Yeah. Um, And I think that'll also give you a sense of purpose. And I think it'll, Mm -hmm. I think it'll make you feel better at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. That's, that's good advice. Oh, thanks. If you want some good advice, submit your international question to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Caroline Rose Giuliani. Please stick around. Just Between Us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. 
This week on the show, we have Caroline Rose Giuliani. Caroline's a Los Angeles-based filmmaker, originally from New York City. After working in a wide range of entertainment industry positions, from representation to studio development and production, she now focuses on directing full-time. With a passion for creating bold content, her work is aimed primarily at reducing the shame and stigma associated with mental health and sexuality. We don't know anything about that here. <laughs> this show is firmly anti-mental health and anti-sexuality. Thank you for being here. Of course. I'm so glad to be on such a woke show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. The elephant in the room. Um, your dad is also Rudy Giuliani and you have been vocal against your wanting to vote for Biden and that you disagree with your dad on politics. And so I know that it can feel like such a huge like, oh, my God, it's Giuliani's daughter, but also it's your dad. So, like, I really want to talk to you about, like, what does it mean to just have different political views than a family member? Well, elephant is one of the kinder terms I've heard used to describe him. So that's, that's <laughs> very generous of you. Um, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's something I've been dealing with my whole life, sort of publicly my whole life. But this is the first time that I've chosen. It feels like I've chosen to step forward and be like, I'm going to tell you all about this because I mm -hmm. felt there was a really important reason to do that because I felt like my, um, sense of being overwhelmed by politics was something that everyone was feeling, mm -hmm. you know, for a different reason. But, uh, I just felt like I could speak to that. And then also this election just felt so, so important. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's one of those things that I've been navigating my whole life and has gone through different phases and, you know, there was a phase for five years where we didn't talk to each other at all. And then mm. I decided that I wanted to talk to him because I like have this deep curiosity about human nature and like having him in my life and not knowing him was very, very just like antithetical to trying to understand humanity for me. Yeah. Um, and also just the biological pull of just like curiosity. I'm a very curi curious person. And so then we like developed a relationship and then, you know, this came along and it's still, it's still hard, but, uh, we still, I think, love each other. It's, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's extremely weird. And it's also something that is probably like very relatable as to like, how do you navigate a relationship? I mean, what, what also gave you the courage to be like, I'm going to speak out publicly. Like I'm going to talk, you know, to the press and to, to people that, and maybe my dad will be upset. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think that was just, you know, I saw, I saw other people having so much courage with, um, with campaigning. And, and then I saw like, I, I just had this like, uh, really intense fear, honestly, that, you know, the election would pass and that we would have four more years of Trump. And then I wouldn't have done mm -hmm. what I could have done. So it was mostly motivated by that. I think of just like the, the feelings I felt for the last four years of like, could we all have done more to prevent this presidency? Um, I just felt that looming like in my future for four more years. And I was like, I can't, I can't sit with that, you know? Totally. Mm -hmm. And what is your like political trajectory been? Because I know a lot of times people mimic the politics of, of their parents. So did you guys used to align more? Like, what does that journey look like? No, I don't think we've ever, ever aligned. <laughs> but I, I will say I was kind of sheltered as a kid from politics in general. And then I think I actively sort of part of the thing I was saying about being overwhelmed by politics is that I actively sort of put on blinders to it because it was very hard mm -hmm. to figure out what was true and what wasn't because, mm -hmm. you know, half the people would come up to me and be like, your dad's the most amazing person in the world. And half would, you know, you'd sort of sense that there was something off with his politics and, and, but I didn't really dive into it. Um, as a young person, um, I sort of just isolated myself in like theater and arts. And so I think that that developed a sense of like empathy and, you know, uh, tolerance in me that then once I started engaging with politics, just lined me up with, um, the opposite of, of where my dad ended up. Um, so, and then my mom is like a little bit more liberal, but she's not as like outspoken as, as I am or hasn't been throughout the years. But, you know, I was also all my best friends growing up were gay men, I am mm -hmm. bi or pan. I'm not really sure which I'm still figuring that out. But, um, and I didn't know that growing up, but like, 
just being a part of the gay community in general, there was just no way I was going to go that direction. Does does he try to pressure you to change your mind? Or have you guys sort of hit like a cease and desist? Like we're never, we don't talk about this anymore. Like what is, do you guys still engage with it? I think like if it comes up, we'll fight about mm-hmm. it. And every once in a while, like I have this friend who's just like very, like a political junkie, one of my best friends. I'll bring him around just to like watch watch what happens and sometimes I'll like bring friends around just for support of like if something goes down at least like I can have a knowing glance Mm -hmm. with a friend or or whatever but yeah I think because of the fact that we didn't talk for so long and then when we came back together it was very clear like who I was um, and I made that very clear Um, I don't think there was ever any like hope of changing things. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he, I actually think that like, I'm not sure that he would want to change me. I think he probably finds me kind of interesting. I, I'm very, um, I have this policy now. I don't know if I always had it, but of um, being overly honest about just everything and particularly about like sex, sexuality, all that stuff. In the last like three years, I've made a very active effort to like, even if it's a little bit uncomfortable, talk to everybody about like what I'm doing in my sex life, sleeping with couples, like, like all this stuff. And so I do that with him too. And I kind of have always been a little bit more like, I'm going to be honest, even if it's going to shock you. And so I don't think there was ever any like hope that I would fit in over on the other side. (laughs) So do you feel more comfortable talking with him about your sex life than politics? Um... I don't know if comfort, if it's (laughs) comfort exactly, but yeah, kind of, um, it's this funny thing where, where I kind of think he thinks that my like openness is charming. Um, and so I kind of like lean into that and we'll just say shocking things to him until he can't take it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think he finds it amusing because actually like in my assessment of human dynamics, I feel like one of the things about him that made him a very successful politician was his kind of like shameless, no filter vibe. He kind of had that growing up. I think that's, that's coming up. I think that's why people sort of liked him because he felt very real and like, he would just Mm. say whatever. And so in a weird way, it's like, I have that same quality. I just apply it to a different area. So I think there's like a sense of seeing each other. What was it like to grow up as a politician's kid? Were you limited in what you could do and say? Did you feel like that pressure that you had to appear a certain way? Um, I think so. I think one of the things my parents went through a very public, uh, messy divorce. So part of the limitations had to do with like the fact that my parents were constantly navigating that. And it was very uh, hard to watch my mom go through that. Like there was this thing that happened when I was like 17. I was in a Barack Obama Facebook group. And I, I, I didn't intend it as like support for his candidacy, although I did support his candidacy, but, um, people found out that I was in the Facebook group and then he was running like in the same prim- like primary time that my dad was running. And so it became this whole thing where everyone read a lot into it. And then they started mm-hmm. going into my Facebook and I had all these pictures of me, like holding bottles of alcohol and I was underage. And so that was like the first time where I think I really realized like, Oh, like anything I do can be uh, you know, is going to be watched or hyper scrutinized. And then, you know, I've had other things like I, I had a phase, I shoplifted and got arrested and that was very public and people read a lot into it. Like it was actually funny. They read more intelligent things into it than I think were actually there. They were like, Oh, she's trying to fuck over her dad in the exact way that he used to like fuck over the black community. (laughs) I was like, okay, (laughs) I'll take it. That really wasn't it. But I think when people get like Twitter fame or Instagram famous, they get very sensitive about like trolls, like trolls. Like I don't bother me at all. I'm just like, you guys are going to say what you're going to say. And that's mm-hmm. how it's yeah. always been. As someone whose dad makes mistakes in private all the time, ish, it's hard to like parse out like what part of this is, is in me genetically. Like what part do I take the positive aspects of, I mean, I can't imagine like everything you say sort of being tied to this higher concept of like, oh, this is saying something about 
her dad or whatever, even the trolls now, because I'm sure it's different from when you were like younger and it was like, okay, you know, your dad's the mayor, but like now it's so much more vicious and it's so much more like invasive and aggressive than I think before. And like, I would feel like, is there like, do you respond? Do you write back? Is there something that's like, like literally I am not him. Like he is not me. I am not him. Like, I don't know how you get that across. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I think I have this sense of responsibility since I chose to write this article. And since I chose to identify myself Mm -hmm. this way, because I spent most of my life not doing that very actively. And that was a choice. And I knew like, if I do, if I don't identify myself that way, I sort of have a right to not to like, not let people say certain things, but now it's like, if people, the thing that does annoy me a little bit is when they're like, put your dad in a home. I'm like, clearly (laughs) if I had the power to, to affect any of this, like I'm trying, I'm doing my, I'm doing my best like to change like what I can. And I think that that's pretty clear, but I also understand like, I've sort of put myself out there in this way for people to speak back to. So I get it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you're not responsible for him, which is what's so weird, I think, about the people that are like, do this, make him do this, or or like, your dad did this. It's like, okay, my dad did, like, old old men are doing stuff everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. It's a great (laughs) name for a book. My favorite response to that is like, well, just like, no one can control their children. Like Mm -hmm. no one can control their parents. Like, look at me. He's not controlling what I'm doing. One of the things that's been so interesting to me as, as like the Republican party has become what it's become is that there have been so few family members who have spoken out where like, you know, you would think that there would be more people first cousin, the this, the that of Mitch McConnell. Like you would think there would be more of that. And what is your insight into why that doesn't happen that often? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe people have stronger family, you know, ties. I'm not really sure. I I mean, Claudia Conway is like in her parents' house being like, fuck this. But like, I I I love it, but you would think there'd be more of that. (laughs) Yeah. I think that one's also complicated. Like, because she's so young. And, um, I think when I see that, I'm like, I wish she could, I wish she could understand. Um, like, like I tried very hard to make sure every time I spoke out or every time I speak out that it's very clear that it's not, this isn't like a child rebelling against their parent. This Mm -hmm. is like an adult, um, Mm. you know, giving her political opinion, which is different from her parents. And mm-hmm. so I tried very hard to, you know, I did write a like comedy piece for Vanity Fair recently after the election, just cause it's like funny, but it wasn't meant to like be like a rebellious child. And I think the, you know, church, she's totally like, I, I respect her angst very, <laughs> very much. Um, but I think people are putting a lot, like it, it's very hard to separate her, her teen angst from her, you know, thought out political opinions because of the way she's presenting them it's also very entertaining though (laughs) yeah for sure it's hard to watch for me because I was like you know I think I I did have a little bit more of a sheltered uh time growing up and it gave me the space to really really think about how I wanted to present myself and I don't Mm -hmm. maybe she'll be happy with that in the future I don't know but I, th- I think she's an American hero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I also like, I it's it's interesting that you're like saying, oh, it's just someone giving their political opinion and it's given so much more weight because yeah, of the, that's the family thing. that you come from. Almost like it's validating to people. Yeah. And I've always felt like I had this among my friends or um, just in general, I noticed that if I would just be like sane or say something like very basically like, you know, empathetic people will be like, Oh my God, you're so amazing for like having that <laughs> viewpoint. And I'm like, okay, I get, it's very easy to get credit just because of the position I come from, which is kind of ridiculous. How do you 
maintain a relationship with your dad when there have been so many anti-LGBTQ policies in the in the Trump administration? I would imagine that might be part of the hardest part of it. And I think there are so many people that are are dealing with that and and they're part of that community, but their parents vote against that community. What has that been like for you? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is like a ton of cognitive dissonance. I think mm-hmm. I think his the the racial stuff is also just equally difficult to to watch and you know to engage with um you know i haven't really the last year i haven't seen him since the pandemic started but even obviously it's been four years of this and i think it's been slowly getting more and more separation between us sadly Mm -hmm. uh we still communicate but it feels less like authentic or or if it gets to be authentic then it's just like gets too crazy but there'll be moments like so i guess i try to look at um what has made him this way and i think about Mm -hmm. like all the fame and power that he's had and how that must um sort of morph a brain totally Um, like it's almost like to me a little bit of a I, I almost see it as like alcoholism or like an addiction mm-hmm. um to it sort of this like power. Um so to me it's like that's the same. Like I used to, I actually dated an alcoholic at one point and spent a lot of time in Al Anon and like there are things from that that I use that I'm like, I don't have control over this person. You know, I I have to set boundaries of like if it go you know, so use those tactics that helps. And then sometimes I'll just like get into it and just be like really shocking. And occasionally it'll like create this moment of connection. Often if I say something very shocking, it'll just like disarm him and then he'll be like a little bit more open. Like I think I said at Christmas dinner, I told everybody that I was like molested in a massage. Cause I was trying to like get the I was trying to explain to them what it's like to be a woman that it's different than like walking through the world as a man. And I I said that at Christmas dinner and it kind of did get everyone's attention and sort of got everyone to like, listen to me for a minute. Yeah. I mean, it sucks that, that you have to like give so much of yourself. And like, I think like parent and child dynamics are really hard, especially when you're talking about addiction, where like the child often has to like flay themselves, like give so much in a way that like, you know, it's not normal. Like it's, you're like, my dad's an alcoholic and an addict. And it's like, you would think that like the dynamic would be, okay, you're the parent and like you, you do the things to care for the child. But instead it's like, you have to like, basically like open a vein so that somebody will pay attention. And like, and, and I think that comes across too. A lot of times when I'm arguing with Republicans, it will be like, a very like, well, this is a hypothetical type of thing. And then I think people feel like, oh, the person who's crying or the person who's bringing up like an emotional or the person who's bringing up a real world, whatever, uh, is just like in the wrong because they're arguing in this way when it's like, for some people, it's literally like your daily life walking around. And then for a lot of these other people, I think it's just like a hypothetical situation or something. So like, this is the thing that I was going to say, not to like psychoanalyze, but like with my parents too, I think like, it's a choice. It's it's not like your choice to be like, okay, I need to reach out to my dad and make the relationship work. It's like his choice to be part of the Trump administration, you know, like that's the painful part is like, you know, I'm your kid and I exist and I should be the priority, but instead the addiction is the priority. Yeah. I think in this case too, it's kind of, it's very, um, it's very pronounced because he actually did tell me before he did it, which was kind of like a new thing, um, because he had never really done that before and he wasn't asking permission or anything, but I did try to stop him. And I did, I was like, I will be ashamed of you if you do this, like from the very beginning before anything, like when he first signed up as his like lawyer, and I actually had like a very like three hour conversation the night before it was kind of like, I thought he was thinking about it and then he announced that he was doing it. And that was very hard because I had specifically been like, I will be embarrassed of you and embarrassed of my name if you do this. Um, 
And so it was very pronounced in that case, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of people, I'm on a Reddit forum for narcissistic parents, uh, (laughs) children of narcissistic parents and like everything you're saying, I think obviously it's blown up huge for you, but I think for our listeners, it's probably extremely relatable, even on a micro level in that, in that case, in terms of the separation or in terms of him taking the job for some of the people, I don't think it's about believing in the Republican party or believing in politics. I think it is just wanting to be relevant or wanting to be a part of the fame or like, is that, I mean, I feel like that way about Kellyanne Conway too. Yeah. I mean, and I feel like if anything proves that it's the fact that this is still going on, like Mm -hmm. the fact that they lost, like, I think the (laughs) only like reason that they are making these claims is to keep their base, like, like mad and following their, whatever they're going to do next, their media, you know, keep their supporters. Like, I think that's all that these lawsuits are, can be about because they have to know that there's nothing there. Have you ever thought about changing your last name? Yeah, I actually did for, it's funny. I wrote my college essay about this, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which was that I used a different last name in these like acting programs when I was a kid, like not a kid, but teenager. Um, And it was like the only the program director knew. And it was very like, It was very liberating because I finally got to see what my life would be like, um, you know, just without that last name. And it was actually quite similar. Like it, it, (laughs) it sort of freed me up to be like, you know, I, people still like me and I Mm -hmm. still get the same kinds of reactions from people. I also have learned to assess the difference between a person who's interested in learning about my last name or that part of my life just because they're interested versus there's like malicious intent. You like kind of become, you get like spidey senses develop about that. But one thing I, one reason I didn't Mm -hmm. change it is because um, like in the period where I wasn't using it and where I was actively hiding it, um, it was, I didn't feel like I was being my most authentic self because I had all these like stories and experiences from my childhood, like Mm -hmm. my childhood, having bodyguards, like, like doing crazy shit in New York, like where the fact that my father was who he was, was a very important narrative piece Mm -hmm. in those stories. And so I had to like, not say those things. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I had to like, like, it's like hiding a part of yourself it's just very antithetical to who I am, like mm-hmm. in terms of even sharing my sexual life. And mm-hmm. I'm a oversharer, you know, so that's why I never <laughs> changed it. <laughs> yeah, we also don't know anything about that on this show. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, now you are a filmmaker. And, and how do you think that that these unique experiences that you've had, like influence your work? I think it definitely affects the types of stories I, I like to tell. I like to tell stories that are very psychologically confusing Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and sort of like you work those confusing bits out through the narrative um I really love characters who are you know as we all do I think like that you love to hate them uh that are just like contradictions I love Mm -hmm. anything with contradictions um and things about fame power um people that you know, that you love in spite of them being sort of evil, like Mm. all that stuff, I think, I think, and it also, I think affects, um, I think growing up as a political kid definitely gave me a little bit of clarity on like how you're presenting your image. So I think, or maybe communication skills. They give me some communication mm-hmm. skills that are helpful when you're working with actors and stuff like that, too. Before we move on to the game show, which I know you're dying to do, uh, mm. <laughs> what advice would you give to to people who are maybe now in the holidays about to be around people in their family who they completely disagree with politically? Yeah, I think I think the main thing is to take care of yourself. And mm-hmm. I think... I think going into those conversations, it's really important to like check in with yourself throughout them. If you're going to have them and sort of maybe take the pressure off yourself. You don't have to fix people, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's all the things from Al-Anon. It's not your responsibility to fix people, even though it, it may pain you what they believe or what they do. 
I think that's really important. And I think, you know, sometimes it can feel like, well, there's this pressure where it's like the work that needs to be done is one to one. And like, it's, you know, if you can change one family member's opinion, then you've done so much to help, but it's unrealistic, you know, like you, you can't (laughs) from experience. You also go, why don't you love me? Like it becomes that where it's like, how come you don't love me enough Mm -hmm. to, to not do this? And I think it's okay to say that. Have you said that? Um, I don't think I've said it in those words, but you know, I'm sure it would just be, there would be like a, I do love you, but response, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Curiously, you try to like stay away from the news and stuff. Cause I know like if someone like, or not even the news, but like just like gossip shit about your dad or whatever. Cause I know like anytime someone who used to like, work with me somewhere does something I get like a DM like a co-worker is like getting divorced and like I got DMs about it like I'm like well I don't even what like I did for a long time I actually one of my ex-boyfriends used to get like Giuliani Google alerts so that he could like could filter never. and like tell me mm-hmm. actually that's how I discovered I have a WikiFeet page because <laughs> got a there's a foot fetish website that, so. we're very oh, we familiar know. with we're Wikifeet, very you know? familiar yeah I was yeah. WikiFeet of the day back in 2017 i'm jealous thank you (laughs) now that i've like written this article the fact that i'm gonna get tweeted about it i just i pay attention just to know you know who's farting where but you're also (laughs) older you know i think you make a really good point in that you know you now uh you're full-fledged adult you know how you want to present your facts and your side of the story and what your point of view is and and so i think you're right like you have opened yourself up to that, but you, you're doing it for a good reason and, and you're doing it in control. Adult might be arguable, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait for your book of alternating chapters about what it was like to have a bodyguard as a child and also sleeping with couples and then also politics and then also LGBTQ stuff. Like just Burning Man stories. Burning Man. I saw your post about Burning Man. I, was I like, miss oh. it so much. <laughs> I've never been. I want to go so bad. We'll have to have the sidebar about it. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to play a game show? Of course. Amazing. Okay, so this game show is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations and you would tell me what you would do. You can ask any clarifying questions and then I just uh, decide whose answer I like better. Cool. It's very playing against each other. Just like gerrymandering. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So the first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You're in the sixth grade and your boyfriend of four whole months gives a Valentine's Day card to another girl behind your back. When you confront him about it, he says, everyone deserves a Valentine. Would you stay with this cheater? Are we telling the truth? Because the truth is that at that age, I was so desperate for male attention that yes. <laughs> and honestly, probably not up until not long ago, the answer would be yes. And I would be totally fooled by the like, oh, he's being empathetic and sweet. So yeah, sadly. <laughs> Quick question. What is the girl he gave it to? What's her deal? Who's she? Um, what's her vibe? She is uh, like a quiet beauty. Oh, that See, makes it harder. Okay. <laughs> right, because I'm sort of like, okay, like I get it. Like maybe he thought she wouldn't be getting any Valentines. But he didn't tell of, you about it. Yeah, he should have told me about it, which is obviously in sixth grade, we are doing ethical polyamory. Um, <laughs> wow. I get, is she, do I think she's cute? In this scenario, in this scenario you are straight and monogamous. Well, I dive out. I can't relate to this. Use your imagination, Gabby. <laughs> uh, I guess I would to imagine. I know. I hate it. I hate it here. Um, I <laughs> well, guess I guess I would I would stay because I feel like that's kind of a nice thing to do. My you wrong? shouldn't have stayed. They were cheating the whole time behind your back. So yeah, much French kissing. It's so much French kissing. You wouldn't believe the amount of tongue. Okay. <laughs> Our next game. Are they an alien or just rude? Okay. You arrange to meet with an interior designer to renovate your new home. After shaking your hand, they announce, I'm sorry, but I can't design a home for someone who doesn't know who they are. Good day. And then they leave. 
Are they an alien or just rude? What's this person's nationality? Are they European in any way? <laughs> um, no. They're okay. from your hometown. For some reason, like I got like a strong German or like Austrian vibe of just like, I cannot design, you know, like, <laughs> um, and then, and then I go into like an existential crisis. It's up to you, but that's not the question. The question is, is this person an alien from outer space or are they just rude? Caroline, thoughts? I'm going to go with just rude because it takes a lot more for someone to be an alien to me. Like you got to be weird as fuck. Or they've assimilated. How do you, how yeah. the fuck do you know? They I could guess, be aliens yeah. all over. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's just my my preconceived notions, I guess. We earlier in the episode we talked about the Mandela effect, and then now you're talking about aliens are just rude. And obviously, the people listening to this are going to be like, "All politicians are lizard people." How does Caroline not know that? <laughs> um, so I yeah. feel like this person is an alien. Turns out they're they're just rude. And they they stole your sixth grade boyfriend. <gasps> it's that girl. It's a Fucking different bitch. girl, but she's now married to that man. <laughs> wow. Okay, our final game. Would you lie or tell the truth? Your friend is going through a traumatic breakup and wants to shave their head to signify a new chapter. You think this is a terrible idea, but it is the only thing they have been excited about since they got left. When they ask your opinion, would you lie or tell the truth? Oh, I'm a commitment to the truth kind of girl. So I would definitely tell, but I would still support them if they wanted to do it. I'd be like, this is actually, I could speak from personal experience because I have shaved my head. So, um, in a Britney moment, yeah, I cut. So I was just like very angsty and I have this very long hair and I just took one side and just cut the whole thing off. And I was like, it'll be some cool, like asymmetrical shit. And then it wasn't. And then, so my friend did like a fade and made it like asymmetrical and then I dyed it purple because I was like, this doesn't look intentional and purple will make it look more intentional. And then I just got addicted to the cutting. And so like I had a shaved side of my head with like an inch on the other side. And it did not work well for my face, but it was it was nice that I experienced having no hair in the shower. Like, yeah. that's amazing. It's a privilege. <laughs> it's also like a like a beacon. You're like, hi, women. I'm interested in you. Please come right? talk to me. And I wasn't even... I guess I was then, but I was just learning that I was. Mm-hmm. I I think tell them the truth, but then also what say... What would you say? What would you say? I don't think that this is a long-term goal. I don't <laughs> think this is a good long-term plan. I think I think maybe what we could do is maybe you could get bangs. Mm. They already had bangs. Is this, are about we talking color? about you? Is this you, Allison? <laughs> <laughs> Is this you? This is this advice? You know, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> no, I swear I won't do anything dramatic with my hair following my heartbreak, but um, I will be getting a new tattoo whenever I'm allowed to. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Where can the people find you? Yeah, my website's carolinerosegiuliani.com. My, my, my handles are all at carolinerosegiu. Amazing. Thank you so much. This was so lovely. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about schemas. Ever heard of them? Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for topics. X, 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 baby. Baby. So this week's topic is yet another thing I've learned about in school. So you asked me, hey, have we done a a topics on schemas? And I said, I hope not, because I have no idea what that is. So (laughs) please explain. explain. Did you do any research? Did you do any pre-pro? Nope. Tell me what it is. (laughs) Okay. So schema is a cognitive structure that serves as a framework for one's knowledge about people, places, objects, and events. Schemas help people organize their knowledge of the world and understand new information. For example, what? On like the most basic level, like you understand like what a horse is versus a cow. Right. And like you have expectations of like what a party will be like. So like if you go to a birthday party, you're going to you have a schema of what a birthday party is. So you're going to expect there to be like 
cake and like singing happy birthday. Right. And, like, so if you went to a birthday party and everyone was just like sitting around in the dark on the floor and not talking, you'd be like, this is really weird. <laughs> right. Okay. You know, it doesn't mix with what your idea of like what a birthday party should be. So okay. schemas, there, there's just like so much information in the world. Yeah. That it's too much for our brains to process. So basically we have these ideas of how the world functions and we have, so like I have a schema of you, right? Like I have Mm. an idea of how you work and how you are as a person. And if you did something, so like for me, like one of the things that is like really challenging going through this being left is the way that it's happened is outside of my schema, both of how I thought my relationship was and how I thought he was. So part part of the shock is like, this doesn't make sense to me. This isn't how I perceived the world. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Um, Okay. So that's jarring. So a lot of times, like, if, you know, if you have like a depressive schema, then you tend to see the world as being depressing. You tend to see things, you tend to to overly take in bad news. Mm -hmm. You tend to assume the worst. You tend to, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's sort of like, it, it really informs how you approach things because it's like how you like your shortcut of information and how are those formed I I mean through through experience but I and but I also think that schemas lead to a lot of of stereotypes so it's very easy to only want to accept the information that already fits in with what you previously believe. So it's a Mm -hmm. lot of like the Mandela effect. Like it's again, like, oh, this doesn't compute with me with what my pre-existing beliefs were about this thing. So therefore I shall not believe it. I shall not pay pay attention to it. Um, Like an example that I thought was helpful in class was like, if you have a really high like danger schema, then like if you're alone at home and you hear a noise, your thought is going to go to, oh, intruder, I'm going to be murdered. Okay. Versus if you have like a low danger schema, then you're like, oh, that's just the house noise. <laughs> got it. Got it. Okay. So I, so I it's think formed it, based on experience and yes. on like what you know to be historically true. Right. But it can and it and it is helpful in that, again, there is too much information. So we need them. But I also think they can be extremely limiting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it can really make you only see life in the world in a certain way. Okay. And then you, and then you ignore the information that doesn't, uh, you know, so like, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense when we think about gender roles, right. And why Mm -hmm. it is so upsetting when someone sees like a, a non-binary person with a beard and a dress. Right. Right. And like, to us, it's like, okay, that's their gender expression. Like no big deal. But But if somebody has very strict gender role schemas, then that just image does not compute in their brain. <laughs> right, 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 right. And that's why I think there can be this like such a weird, almost violent reaction to something like that. Because um, it doesn't fit in with their worldview. Right. Which I've seen too happen with um, relationship structures with polyamory. People's reaction mm-hmm. to it is so intense and so violent mm-hmm. because they're like, I, uh, no, no. Like, I, right. but this, this is, is not, not, I. this is not how I think of relationship so how no exactly and it opens up you know what it is it's that it opens up the idea that maybe there's something outside of their schema and so but they're like wait but I've been in this schema the whole time and they're like well turns out you can be in other schemas and they're like no I don't like that because it's uncomfortable it can feel scary totally Mm -hmm. because then you're like oh do I not have a sense of anything (laughs) am I am I could I be in a different schema and then you start to like freak out I think self schemas are really worth exploring. How do you view yourself? Mm-hmm. What are these beliefs that you hold to be so true about yourself? Mm-hmm. And how can they potentially either not be true or be much more flexible than you think? Yeah. I mean, uh, like even with coming to terms with queerness, I think was a huge one mm-hmm. because all you see is like Barbie and Ken or like relationships on television or like whatever. Um, and I remember like, crying when I was like oh fuck I might like end up with a woman like Mm -hmm. even knowing I was bisexual like because I was like oh my god like that is you're now you're the the schema that you thought which was like heterosexuality it's gone it's gone and so I think like sometimes even it's it's that thing which I hate the stereotype of but it's that thing of like transphobes are are probably 
trans in the sense of like, okay, J.K. Rowling's essay that she wrote about like not liking trans people, whatever, that long fucking essay that she wrote about it. In it, she was like, when I was younger and if I had known about this, I might have transitioned because I didn't like being a woman. And look at that would have happened. What, what would have happened to me if I had done that? And it's sort of like, I, I don't know why you're bringing this up. I imagine you would have been happier. I don't really know. Like, why are you <laughs> saying this? And I think it's like a thing where it's just all rooted in fear of like, no, other people are doing this thing outside of my schema, which I have been in and maybe I'm suffering in. Right. And, and so I think for her, yeah. she had very clear gender role schema. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe she's not trans, but maybe she thought that to be a woman, she had to be confined to a very small box. Right. And so learning that like, oh, actually, there's so many different ways to be a woman. Yeah. And I can be assertive. I can not wear dresses. Yeah. I can play sports. I can, you know, and right. so like uh, I think that she is still so close minded that to her, it's like, well, if I want those things and that makes me trans versus just like, yeah, being and also a, a woman that is you. not necessarily, you know, what and you would maybe, think of a stereotypical gender role. And like, maybe you are trans, like what? But I think like having to reassess yourself and, mm-hmm. and even coming out the other side going, OK, maybe I'm not. But like I, I, having to reassess yourself in any way, even like straight people having to be like, am I queer? Let me think about it. Or like. I mean, I don't know, even like people being like, is the way that I've been treating wait staff is that wrong? Like just like things where like things about how you've seen other people in your I'm thinking of rich people seeing their parents or whatever. Like, you know, like if is there like a it's it's jarring and it's like probably um, requires a lot of introspection that you you're like you're saying there's too much information in the world. And so you you are just taking shortcuts based on what you've seen from your parents, from friends, from and, where and what you you've been part of. Feel bad about that, and it's very. But you natural, should reassess it, but you should you should check in. So, like, I think a big schema that can potentially be reassessed is like, what is beauty? Yes, right. So, like, right. what are beauty ideals? And I think that we are all so brought up with beauty ideals being very white centric, mm-hmm. thin, blonde. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like these certain ideals and like that's a harmful schema. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so then like taking that step back and being like, okay, I have such a narrow view of of beauty. How Mm -hmm. do I expand that? How do I look at it from a different perspective? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I how do I accept that? So like I think also like sometimes people will see someone with a fat partner Mm -hmm. and like not and not like a traditionally um, like fit person with like a fat partner and the mm-hmm. reaction is like, again, like violent almost of like, how can that be? That doesn't compute for me. <laughs> right. And you know? it's like, well, because you live in a schema that's trapped. That you create, with- that you created. Yeah. <laughs> like, you well, the media probably created well, it for you. Right. But-, but again, that like is, is again, it is just like a sorting technique. It is not truth. Yeah, exactly. It's just like you put it in the wrong file. Like, you you know, like you can go in and you can really undo this stuff and you can create different schemas. And and I think that there's so much growth there. And I also think that schemas make it so easy for people to give in to things like stereotypes, racism, Mm -hmm. sexism, homophobia. Like, that's why I think when you're like, but people are good. Like, why do people have all these horrible views? Mm -hmm. It's because they have schemas that are incorrect, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, or that are like, or could be expanded, could could be expanded, expanded, very narrow schemas. And so I think the work is, is really like, if you're a parent, like making sure that like, that the schemas that your kids are developing are more Mm open-minded and not as narrow and not as restrictive and harmful. Um, and then as an adult, like doing that work of, of examining what you believe to be true and how that could be bullshit. Like the expectations people have of like what a wedding should be. Yeah. Is hilarious. What do you mean? Like, like, you know, people will go to a wedding and be like, well, I didn't like that. They didn't do this thing. They should have, they should (laughs) have done that. How could they not have done that? They should have done, but like, taking that step back and being like, oh, that's just my scheme of what a wedding should be. Right, right. That's not what a wedding should actually be. <laughs> right, or my scheme of of how to raise a child or my schema mm-hmm. of, of what a family looks like or my mm-hmm. schema of what a relationship looks like. Totally. Or, but I really do think that it comes down to 
it starts to break down their little matrix of like, well, if this is true, then this is true, then this is true, then this is true. And then they like malfunction, which I've right. experienced again, like I've experienced that malfunction. Um, It's hard. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you just got to turn yourself on and off. <laughs> you'll have, have you tried you'll have turning it on and off? <laughs> Hi. Uh, so this person's acting really sexist. Um, okay. Well, have you tried turning them on and off? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if that worked. That'd be amazing. That would be incredible. <laughs> Melissa, do you want to come in and, and tell us your most harmful schemas that you hold? <laughs> <laughs> or would you like us to turn you on and off? Um, can I get a reset, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, turn her on and off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's just so much, so deep to get into. Uh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, my mind is still blown because I didn't, I mean, I didn't know there was a name for it. Of course, I knew it existed. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> Pass. Yes. What did we think of the episode? What do we rate it? Oh, I love this episode. Um, I'm just going to give it uh, 10 out of um, eight. Uh, just good vibes. Yeah. I wow. love that. Yeah. We've never had a good vibes rating, and I think it's important. <laughs> I think every episode now we should be like, what were the vibes? Yeah. <laughs> I have a class where there's a vibe watcher who at the end has to like say what the vibes were for the class. But every time everyone's like, it was good vibes. Was <laughs> no! it? Is there somebody the- different that does it each class? <laughs> yeah. Can you be the one that changes it? Oh, um, hell no. I was like, I'm really proud of everyone. Great Mm-mm. vibes. Nah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be the you controversial liar. one. I'd be the controversial one. Yeah, I'd be like, honestly, the vibes could be better. Yeah. Um, I feel like they weren't as dank as they should have been. It just and... wasn't. It just wasn't a vibe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, there was no vibe here. <laughs> wow, I rate it. I rate it. Um, twenty twenty one out of twenty. So like twenty twenty one, but switched shaving your head in an asymmetrical pattern and then dyeing it purple. Perfect. And I shall rate it 13 out of out of 12 uh, new friends. Yeah. I, I think that we can all make new friends and we should all be open to it. Yeah. I think that's what you should take away from this is that you can always make new friends, baby. 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 Squiggly line vibe check. <laughs> now that I'm on TikTok... I am Gen Z and I am unbearable. (laughs) I love it. I haven't seen like a huge shift, but okay. (laughs) Seems the same. (laughs) One of the best parts about my Shazam TikTok going viral is everyone being like, okay, Zoomer, like you just don't know about this movie because you're 19. Well, I, oh, you're 19. Got it. Uh, They think I'm Gen Z. Wow. I like it. Uh, But like. Part of the reason why people think it exists as well is because Sinbad has started trolling people to right. think that it exists. So he'll say like, yes, it did exist. Or And he's also made a parody, I think. He made a parody uh, on College Humor. So yeah. don't fucking send me that YouTube video. I, I'll end you. And two, uh, he did like an April Fool's thing where he was like, yeah, I did it, but I was on crack. Yes. And then in the yes, same sentence, he'll be like, I was on crack. I did a bunch of yoga so I could fit in the lamp. So like, yeah. obviously he's joking. Wow. <sighs> We've all learned a lot. It was a great episode. <laughs> Simbad, once again, open invitation for you to come on this show, Simbad. Please. I'll reach out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Melissa. Thank you so much to Caroline Rose Giuliani for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Montz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or youtube.com slash just between us show and make sure to follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at forever dog team to keep up with all the latest forever dog news and also allison at emotional support lady and me at gabby road on instagram very good promoting thanks also at jbu podcast on instagram forever dog <laughs>